I'm travel journalist Catherine Romine, and this is Banyan Trees Compass Podcast, a series in which I talk with changemakers who are living purposeful, inspiring lives about the experiences that have shaped them and their visions for the future. Today, I'm so excited to introduce Dr. Anwar Abdullah. He's arguably Asia's most change-making advocate, author, and conservationist when it comes to rehabilitating coral reefs. Anwar was born and raised on the east coast of Malaysia and studied oceanography in Florida before embarking in 1981 on his life's mission to save coral reefs. He is the founder of OceanQuest Global, a collaborative group dedicated to recreating the ocean's life cycle. And at 64 years old, he still spends a ton of time at sea, diving with purpose in order to research the ocean and invent scientific tools such as a coral catalyst he patented in 2004. Through OceanQuest Global, Anwar's reach has been extensive. His reef rehabilitation projects have been implemented in more than 50 locations around the world, and more recently, he spearheaded the four-year rehabilitation of Thailand's Maya Bay. He also established Ocean Quest Egypt with the Red Sea's first coral nursery. He's now living in Borneo, where he's developing a self-sustaining eco-camp for educational programs and volunteers. So, Anwar, as a fellow ocean lover, I feel like I, or we for that matter, have so much to learn from you. I'm really curious to know... Is there a specific moment in time that you would consider your frontier moment? What is it that inspired the most dramatic shift in your life that led you in a new direction and catalyzed your path? Well, I embarked on coral reef uh, rehabilitation in 1981. I have no idea. In 1981, there's hardly any information on the internet at all, Mm -hmm. let alone to get resources about corals and stuff. So as an oceanographer, a lot of things I started is through self-learning and reading. I've seen changes in the, in the ocean in the first few years of my diving. Mm-hmm. And when I started diving, it was in Florida. But when I come back to Asia, I was expecting something I saw when I was a kid. Because I used to live by the sea when I was a kid. And I used to see like pristine, really, really pristine coral reef. And then when I go out diving, I'm disappointed because what I used to see and what I used to interact with in the ocean, mostly are gone. And that is in the 80s, you know? Wow, yeah. And uh, continually, I follow a lot of degradation and I find out why they actually degrade, why things are damaged, why coral reef are uh, dying, and I realized that it is immense. It was a thing that nobody can specifically say it is caused by ABC, you know. But collectively, it is like everything comes together that causes things to change in the environment. On land, people can see it. Underwater, people don't realize it. Especially in the eighties, not many people actually see what's happening in the ocean. Marine tourism, island tourism is not that big at that time still. And the only resources they can see through is like Discovery Channel or National Geographic. But even those days, like cable TV doesn't exist in most places in Asia still. So many people don't realize it. That also contributes to the slow development of my own reef rehabilitation because people don't find it interesting and to find people that are interesting that will support my course is difficult so the first moment to answer your question 
is when I found a person way back in 82 or 83 maybe who are totally amazed at what I'm doing, you know? Mm. Even though my discovery was nothing, absolutely nothing. I'm just working on corals. All my achievement is during 2004 onwards. But there is a person who say, hey, this is interesting. Let's find out what's happening. When other people are thinking this is crazy, it's not going to work. So when you find somebody who says that you're not alone, you feel that you're no longer alone and you are going to have companionship or partnership or whatever you can call it as basically your first population. Ally, someone who believes in what you're doing and is encouraging you. And that must have felt so validating, right? To have that. Yeah. It is not about, oh, wow, I discovered that I can grow coral. No, that is not even there yet. Mm-hmm. But the the effort that you are putting in and the degrading criticism and comments and people who think that, that you are crazy. <laughs> it's insane because wow. who wants to grow coral reef? People are not even successful at that point to, to reforest some of the deforestation in Asia. And we are talking about coral reef, which is far from happening. I can imagine you felt really seen and very much heard. And so that's probably such a satisfying feeling that encouraged you to keep going. I don't think people know that Southeast Asia's coral reefs have the most biodiversity of all the world's ecosystems and that there's so many important benefits of that to us as humans. You've been researching and diving and working in this realm for more than four decades now. Could you maybe tell me about some of the changes that you've witnessed over time? And what do you feel is the most serious threat that we face in terms of the degradation of coral reefs and global warming and climate change? Okay, good that you mentioned climate change. Here's what my observation over time, right? Over a period of time that I travel to many locations, my observation is it's a mix. Like what do people know about coral reef and the degradation and the assumption that climate change has a lot to do with it. In some locations, it is very true. And in some locations, it is not. And there are many areas still around Southeast Asia that is really, really pristine. And of course, these are places that is not regularly dived and not regularly researched out of the, the way or in remote locations. So if you venture out and you start to explore, it's a, a mixed result. You can say there are degradation, there are also sustained environment that hasn't changed, and there are places that has degrade and recover, and there are places that degrade and never recover. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to coral reef worldwide, the only concerning thing is that the rate of degradation in most areas are much higher as compared to the recovery ones. That's the only concern that we are looking into. So it is not, well, uh, coral reef is doomed around the world because of climate change. You can't, you can't generalize those. So if you work like me in many locations worldwide, some of my location is next to a pristine coral reef that has never degraded. And some of my location is totally dead. So that gives me advantage of observing the intact reefs and 
the completely dead ones, mm-hmm. what happened? Side by side. Yeah. So we will be able to do like realistic strategy, not not like a assumption. So rehabilitating reef is not about going there and learning how to plant coral. I teach people how to plant coral, but knowing how to plant coral alone is not rehabilitation. That is just a process of gardening coral or planting coral. But what is the success rate of those planting? It is very, very depending on people's understanding of how the reef degrade, how it recover, and what is the need of the coral reef, right? So in that context, if we want to talk about majority of coral reef rehabilitation worldwide, then you will find that Ocean Quest Global, like my organization, is the quietest. We don't go around telling people, oh, we have achieved that much and this much. We are the largest in the world whatsoever. Mm. We don't because we put coral reef in front, not ourselves in front. Mm-hmm. We don't glamorize ourselves. What we want to glamorize is a reef, like Maya Bay in Thailand, for example, was abused from the year 2000 till 2018. 18 years of abuse. When we entered Maya Bay the first time, it was zero coral. It was 100% dead. So after four years of rehabilitation, we managed to bring back that 100% to 40% recovery in four years. That means now it's still recovering because nobody is going in the water in Maya Bay. So we want people to realize that it is possible to rehabilitate a reef and we want to put up front the, the name of the reefs that is potentially recovering or are only already fully recovered so that people have some optimism, not just pessimism about reef degradation because there are steps can be taken to rehabilitate reef if we do it right. Well, that's such a wonderful thing to hear because I do think you're right. There's so much negativity around news when it comes to what warming means for the ocean, for coral reefs, if they're going to disappear, if islands like the Maldives are going to disappear. And so even if there are extreme challenges that we're facing, it's so nice to hear that you're trying to look at things positively and give people inspiration instead of just depressing them. Yeah, yeah. News is always like that. News of an invention of aeroplane, hardly anybody will read it. But news about an air crash, right? Something bad, everybody wants to know. That's so true. When you were considering a career in coral reef rehabilitation and researching corals, were you thinking at all about an area that you could have a big impact? Yeah, the big impact does not occur on site normally. The big impact occurs in the education, in the the people's mind. If we can get a lot of people that actually knew what coral reef is and how important they are and things like that, it is a much larger impact than a handful of people trying to plant corals, right? But if you get those people who knew about the coral and its impact and everything to participate, then you have a large audience, then you have a large impact, then you have a change Mm -hmm. uh, because with numbers you will make a change. Without numbers, you can't. Right. You know? There's so many issues around the world and the environment that seem insurmountable. And I wonder if you've ever doubted along your career that one person such as yourself could actually make a difference. I'm curious how you're able to stay positive and 
on track in the belief that what you're doing truly matters and that you need to keep doing it? There are two things, okay? Staying positive. I, I can say there, there are times that I'm giving up conservation. It's not true that I remain active throughout that 40 odd years of doing this. There are points where I drop everything and I go sit on the beach drinking beer waiting for sunset and don't give a damn about it, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but that only occurs to me once before I started Ocean Quest Global around 2009 when I say I, I had enough. Not because I've given up that the coral reef is not growing. I knew I grew corals. I knew everything is working. But I'm tired of politics. I'm tired of societal pro- problems in this field. I'm tired of uh, basically the social demography, right? Mm-hmm. And I'm tired of governance as well. A lot of uh, places that I work has bad governance and people who are given control over reefs and marine environments, not knowledgeable people, instead are signed by politicians and politics. And it's, everything is about money, right? Yeah. <laughs> so sad, but so, true. Yeah. I will teach. If a, a person came to me and say, hey, Anwar, I want to learn about coral. Yeah, I will put a lot of effort trying to educate this person about coral. But when... I'm getting people who started to say, hey, my country has a budget of $2 billion and about half of it is going to conservation of marine. Are you interested? All this finances stuff, you know, I'm not interested. I hope millions of dollars of project coming my way all the time. But I can just watch the whole thing pass. Mm. There's no landing into the reef at all, you know. Right. The money never I, makes it there. Oh, yeah. It never happened. I would openly challenge any institution to do like me. Before the pandemic, we have 84 locations worldwide. And each location, we have at least 100 square meter of reef. The largest one, a few hectares of reef. If I combine all this location, I can easily stand on a box and say, hey, look, I make the largest coral reef rehabilitation in the world. Why didn't I? Because that's not my objective. I'm not glorifying myself. I'm trying to fix coral reef. If anyone wants to fix coral reef, they come to me. I will, of course, I will assess them too. What's their agenda? If their agenda is true, then by all means, we work together. We do things, right? It's more or less, I want to be in the action. I want to go and rehabilitate reef and educate people about reef from protection of reef, cataloging of reefs, cataloging of corals, understanding corals, coral education, rehabilitation of reefs. Mm-hmm. All these steps are taken. It's not just advocacy, going around telling people, oh, the reef is dying around the world. We, we need more resources to, to help the coral reef. Mm-hmm. But come diving with me. I will show you nine out of ten of the reef in Southeast Asia is still a lot of coral. It's encouraging. So, so I can show you vast area of dead areas, but most reefs that is intact is beyond the human management part. Wherever human intend to manage it, that's the degradation happen. Why? A lot of MPAs, a lot of national parks are degrading. Whereas out of the beaten track, you go to an island that is inhabited by just animal, no human, and you see it's pristine. Everything is there, including the dreaded crown of thorns that eats coral that 
we all try to control in our reef and we exterminate them in our reef. Not me, but most of the MPAs will be collecting them and exterminating them. That's a reef that's dying. Yeah. But if you go up and you find a pristine coral reef, there is a huge number of chronotons on those reefs. But the diversity was high. The density was great. The, the number of corals almost grow on top of each other, right? Mm -hmm. So is it true that this crown of thorn starfish that we all actually organize events to exterminate really the threat to the coral reef? What about the coral reef that people don't go and is thriving? By right, if it's so voracious, like feeding predator, by right, those areas that we don't control would have been gone, mm -hmm. right? Why are the places that humans try to manage is dying? This is one of the examples mm -hmm. of whether or not what we practice is correct or incorrect. Yeah. With restoration, we need to know the ethical side. We need to respect the animals because every single animal contributes to the ecological cycle. They are all the part of the ecological workforce that provides to create a harmonious mm -hmm. environment. And just because yeah. we don't understand it doesn't mean it's not working. There's so many mysteries that we don't understand. I'm curious if there have been sacrifices you've had to make in your own life to kind of model what we need to be doing and to align your private life with your public work. Yeah, there's a lot of sacrifices. A little bit too long to explain. <laughs> <laughs> That's fine. Yeah, it's a lot. Of, you yeah. know, being called crazy is already a good start. right? Mm. <laughs> you can imagine what's going on for the next 20 years before I discovered a system of rehabilitation. Yeah, you have to just kind of push on through, right? To ignore that noise. Yeah, yeah. Personal sacrifice also, there's a, quite a bit because I'm totally engrossed at some point with this thing. So I lost track of whatever was surrounding me. So that's a lot of sacrifices, a lot of losses, personal loss in way of relationship and stuff. Mm -hmm. So... I can imagine many challenges, but the yeah. way that you're encouraging education and awareness and young people, I think is very important and is going to be a legacy that you can leave behind, right? Yeah. So this is the reason I created courses and training programs. And then along the way, I duplicate myself by training a trainer. So that trainer will go around the world and teach other people and how, that's how we expand. I can't create more Anwars because there's not enough crazy people. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I can't create more Anwars, definitely. So I create trainers who are sane and better than me, I think. That's the dream is to be able to teach more people who can then teach more people and spread that knowledge around, I think, for a more hopeful future. Which does bring me to my last question. In a world of possibility, what do you hope that the world could look like in a hundred years. Can you paint a picture of what you would love most to see for the Earth's future? Here it is. In a hundred years, right? People will will know how to plant coral as what we know about plants. Like hmm. we we bring five year old kid to a garden and show them how to plant seeds in a pot and grow plants, right? Mm -hmm. So. It doesn't take the science of botany to teach that little kid just to put that seed in a pot and water it and care for it and grow a plant, right? The technological advancement in reef rehabilitation 
will reach that point. People will absolutely know how to grow coral in the reef or in captivity in their, in their homes, ornamental coral in the aquarium. The technology is so advanced at that time will make people think it's a common thing, like knowing how to plant trees using a seed. That's, mm. that's what humanity will go through because humanity continue to advance in science, right? Mm-hmm. So a lot of pessimists will say, ah, the reef is dying, it's going to go extinct and all this, right? Yeah, some places do, but most places don't. You think about coral reef this way. If coral reef did not die, that means there's no new layer growing on top of the dead one, right? Coral reef is formed when one layer of the reef dies, another layer grows on top of it, layer by layer it goes upwards. That mm-hmm. is how the coral reef forms. That means there is a dying and living process, right? Mm-hmm. So that is what people have to understand. Because some reef die for a reason, and then you come back five, six years later, you see a new reef on top of the dead ones. There's not always the climate change things. We can't tell because we don't live a million years, you know? Right. It's a good thing we don't because the world would be very overpopulated. Humans, we can't live forever. If we all lived forever, the world would not sustain us. There has to be death in order to be life. Maybe in 100 years, we have half the population and it's sustainable. So mm-hmm. we will have management of population for sure in the future because science will grow in that direction. A lot of sciences, including coral reef rehabilitation, is going to be advanced. A lot of people will be looking into taking active role in rehabilitating reef, come and plant coral and learn how to grow coral and make that science even better would be wonderful if more people in the future got engaged and involved and found ways to meaningfully make a difference with the things that they could do with their own hands or brain. Exactly. Well, I really enjoyed learning just a little bit about corals and your world. And I really appreciate your time, Anwar. Thank you. Thank you so much. So enjoy Bali. Enjoy Borneo. Sounds really exciting to be off the grid. Hope to talk to you again soon.